tu es qui venturus es an alium expectamus? Art thou he who is to come, or do we wait for another? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. In last Sunday's Mass, we repeatedly were invited to lift up our soul to God. To thee have I lifted up my soul. And this Sunday, the reply comes to us very clearly that God has heard us, he has accepted the lifting up of our soul, and he will come to save us. He will come to save the nations. This is what we hear in the introit of today's Mass. Populus Sion, the introit and many of the texts of the Mass, address Zion, address Jerusalem, for today, as you know, the Church of Rome historically would gather in the station at the Church of Santa Croce in Jerusaleme the Church of the Holy Cross in Jerusalem, a church built upon land that had been brought by St. Helen from Jerusalem, so that there would be a little bit of Jerusalem in Rome. And the church would gather there today to recall the longing of Jerusalem for the coming of the Messiah. But more importantly, that gathering at the church which represented Jerusalem not only reminded the church of the expectation of Jerusalem in the past, but it reminds the church that she is the new Jerusalem who can expect the Lord's coming to her, coming to her daily in the sacraments, coming to her in glory at the end of time. And the introit also reminds the church that he comes ad salvandas gentes, to save the nations, but that word gentes a bit of a stronger connotation, not just the nations, but the Gentiles, the goyim, the heathen, if you will. The introit reminds all of the pagans, the converted pagans, the descendants of pagans, gathered there in the church of Santa Croce in Rome, that the promise is made not just to Jerusalem of old, but to them. And so they listen to the words of St. Paul, we listen to the words of St. Paul, writing to the Romans, opening up for us the mystery of the call of the Gentiles. The Mass recalls the promises made to Jerusalem of old and assures us that we, the Gentiles, are now included in these promises. That we can rejoice with Jerusalem that the Lord has come and is coming and will come. When we speak of Zion, when we speak of Jerusalem, we speak of the church, and therefore we speak first and foremost of her who is, at one and the same time, the most exalted member of the church, the embodiment of the church, the mother of the church. And so this Mass of Jerusalem is the perfect preparation for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception of the Mother of God, and it always occurs in close proximity to that feast, whether a few days before it or a few days after it. And it's entirely fitting that it is she who takes the center stage this week in the feast of her conception, preceded by its vigil, the feast of the translation of her holy house, and later as we commemorate, even if not liturgically, we commemorate nonetheless her apparitions at Guadalupe. She comes to us repeatedly this week in order to prepare us for the coming of her son. And as we sing of Jerusalem in this Mass, we think of her who 
is the daughter of Jerusalem, the glory of Jerusalem, who embodies all that Jerusalem was called to be. In the expectation of Our Lady, all that is said of Jerusalem's expectation is brought into focus. And so we can fruitfully look at all of the texts of the Mass of today and the Office of today, speaking of her and speaking to her. We heard that the Lord will come in nubibus celi, on the clouds of heaven. And Our Lady is in more than one place compared by the Fathers to a cloud, the small cloud the size of a man's hand that the prophet Elias saw from afar. The Lord will come in the clouds of heaven with great power. And then in that great second antiphon, which we sang at Terse, the city of our strength, Zion, the Savior is placed in her as a wall and a rampart. This is, in a certain way, a description of Our Lady's Immaculate Conception, that the passion of her Son, foreseen by God, was placed in her as a wall and a rampart against its original sin. And therefore, aperite portas, open the gates, for God is with us. A word addressed to Our Lady, inviting her to welcome the Son into her, to welcome God with us into her womb. Behold, the Lord will come, he will not deceive. If he delays, wait for him, because he will come and will not delay. We sang that antiphon with Psalm 62, and we can hear the voice of Our Lady speaking in Psalm 62 of her longing to see the face of God, which is to say, longing to see the face of her Son, for whom she waits, knowing that he will come and will not delay. And so on, all of the texts of this Mass speak to her of her expectation and invite us to join with her in her longing to see the face of her Son. But finally, amidst the, the joy and the promise of this Mass and of all the things that we celebrate this week, there is, at the same time, a, a hint of the drama and the trial which is to come. As our Lord says to the disciples of John, after pointing out all the things that he's doing, Blessed is he who shall not be scandalized in me. Which is a, seems like a strange thing to say but it's illuminated for us by Pope St. Gregory in the words that we heard at Matins this morning. Blessed is he who will not be scandalized when I go to my passion and death. Blessed is he who will not be scandalized to see God undergoing suffering, to see the humiliation of God. The Gospel points out for us that there's always a mystery about our Lord's coming. St. John Henry Newman, in one of the passages that we heard recently in the refectory, spoke about mystery, that yes, God reveals himself, but there's always something that's hidden. So revelation is the illuminated side of what God, of God's truth, and mystery is the side which is still kept in shadow. And so in our Lord's coming, there were certainly signs that one could point to, as he does in the gospel, signs that he clearly is the one who is to come, that there is no other for whom we wait. But there will still be the possibility of being scandalized in him. Because he comes in humility, he comes in hiddenness, he will come in the ignominy of his passion, and therefore will always require the humility of faith to discern beneath these appearances 
the one who is to come. And so he challenges his hearers, what did you go out into the desert to see? When I hear these words, I'm reminded of St. Benedict's words in chapter 60 of the Holy Rule, addressed to priests, but really addressed to anyone who comes to the monastery. Ad quid venisti, for what art thou come? And so he says to these people, for what did you go into the desert? He can say that to all of us. For what did you go out into the desert of the monastery? Did you come to see someone dressed in soft garments? If you wanted that, you could have gone somewhere else. If you wanted a comfortable life, you should have chosen differently. But what did you go out to see? You came to see a prophet. You came to see one who will prepare the way of the Lord. That is what we came here to see. And so we should not be surprised when those who prepare the way of the Lord invite us also to share in his cross. It's in those moments that our Lord's words become actual. Blessed is he who shall not be scandalized in me. And so as we look for our Lord's coming, we are warned that his coming will be obscure, hidden, mysterious, requiring the eyes of faith in order to discern it. And so we ask the daughter of Zion, the woman of great faith, we ask her to allow us with her to have our eyes open for his coming so that we, like her, will not be scandalized in the hour of his passion. But that even in the hour of his passion, even when his coming is impossible for the human eye to discern, we will still be able to recognize him as the one who has promised to us. And we will be able to say to him, Thou art he who is to come, and we look for no other. In the name of the Father, and